Thank you, Pastor. Uh, thank you for the opportunity uh, to preach. Thank you for um, putting me up for these last three weeks. Uh, thank you, church, for your generosity. Um, you guys have been far too kind, uh, far kinder than I deserve. Um, and so I'm just super grateful to y'all. Thank you to the bakers um, for, for putting me up uh, while I've been here. Uh, they have been a blessing as well. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Uh, you guys don't have to worry about me going too long tonight. Um, I've already had more than one person warn me uh, that there is a chili supper afterwards, and if the chili's cold by the time we get there, it's my fault. And so I'm well aware. Pastor was one of those people. So we're uh, <laughs> Acts chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse chapter 5, if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along. It says, And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined for the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them that they... That commanded them to speak not at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done." God has called us as Christians to live distinct, undeniable lives for him. Does anyone here have a, a favorite book of the Bible? Uh, that book in the Bible when where you're going through your, your Bible reading plan, you get to it and, and you just can't wait. Uh, maybe it's, it's uh, the book of John, you can't wait to just learn more about the deity and the miracles of Christ. Maybe it's the, the book of Genesis because you just love the creation account. Uh, I have two favorite books of the Bible. Uh, I have a favorite Old Testament book, and that book is Psalms. Uh, I just love so many of the Psalms, so many of the praises to God, so many of the heartfelt prayers, uh, just authentic requests brought to God. I, I love the Psalms. 
Uh, my favorite New Testament book is the book of Acts, and I love Acts for a couple reasons. Uh, first, I love stories, uh, and Acts, uh, to me, is one of the most action-packed story books of the Bible out there. Uh, it's about the early church, about how the apostles spread the church, uh, and I think it's really inspiring, and, and I just love the stories. Uh, here in Acts chapter 4, uh, we're in the middle of one of those stories right now. Um, in fact, uh, it's a, a two-chapter story that starts back in, in chapter 3. Uh, and so to give some context where we're at, at the beginning of chapter 3, uh, Peter and John are headed up to the temple, uh, as the Bible says, at the hour of prayer. Uh, on their way there, they, they meet a crippled man outside of the temple uh, who's begging for money. Uh, Peter tells the man that he doesn't have any money, but he says, but such as I have, I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter heals the crippled man. The crowds around are, are in awe, and Peter takes this opportunity to preach the gospel to them. And that's where chapter three ends. Uh, chapter three ends with Peter preaching the gospel to the people, uh, but the story continues in chapter four, and it doesn't continue in a very positive light. Uh, the priests, they find Peter and John, and they take them captive, and they question them. And this is where we find Peter and John in our passage tonight. Now, these priests, they, they want to get rid of the issue quietly, uh, but as we read in verse 16, they say that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. You see, this, this isn't something that the priests can simply ignore. It's not something that they can make go away. Because of the healing of the man, uh, the, the people know, the people have seen. Uh, Peter and John, they've made an undeniable stand for Christ. And because of it, they've been imprisoned. And it's here in Acts chapter 4, in Peter and John's defense to the priests, where we find three keys to living undeniable Christian lives uh, that I want us to look at briefly tonight. Uh, first, we see the boldness that Peter and John had through Christ. Uh, verse 13 tells us that when the priests saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. Now, they marveled because these were men who didn't deserve to be bold. Now, the Bible itself calls them unlearned and ignorant. They, they didn't have a right to be confident in their message. Uh, these weren't intellectual men like the priests. Uh, from the priest's point of view, uh, these two men were, were nothing more than poor fishermen who didn't know any more about the Bible than what they'd been taught in grade school. Uh, unlike the priests who had dedicated their entire lives to studying the Bible. And despite that fact, they were bold. Despite the clear inadequacy compared to the priests, they were confident in what they believed and preached. Notice the second half of verse 13. It says, and they, the priests, took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And this is where we find the confidence of Peter and John comes from. Because it wasn't in their own ability, it was in Christ dwelling in them. That's where the boldness came from. You see, they, they weren't confident because they were these incredibly holy and righteous men. They, they weren't confident because they were the wisest priests of their day. In the eyes of society, they were nothing more than filthy fishermen. They had nothing in their own selves to be confident in. But they knew Jesus. There was no reason that these men should be unashamed in their preaching, but 
They knew the Savior personally. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he, Jesus, said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Even Paul, one of the greatest titans of the faith, knew that the only thing about himself that he had a right to take pride in was his weaknesses, because that's where Jesus provided. It's in his shortcomings where Jesus made himself known. His weakness is what allowed his savior to work through his life. And it's our weaknesses that allow Jesus to work through us too. And can I just say, praise God for that, right? Praise God that he doesn't work through the strength of men. Praise God that he doesn't wait for a talented man, that he doesn't wait for a competent person to come along before he can do a work. Because if God only worked through the strength of men, we would have no hope of seeing him accomplish a great work. Because we're nothing. We are nothing. Because we could never compare to the Christians that came before us. We could never compare to the men and women in the last 2,000 years of church history that led us to today. We can't hold a candle to the scholars of the first century. Uh, I don't know the Bible near as well as Charles Spurgeon. None of us are ever going to have as great of a a prayer life as A.W. Tozer. Nobody in this room possesses some innate gift within ourselves that's going to change the world of Christianity forever. None of us. But he doesn't need us to, because he's the one who does the work. He's the authority in the situation, and that's why we can have boldness. Have you ever had a time uh, as a kid when your parents told you to go tell one of your siblings something? I think in my own life, uh, there have been times where, where my dad has told me, hey, go tell your brother to clean, the, clean his room. Uh, go tell your, your brother to, to take out the trash, to empty the dishwasher, whatever. Uh, it's times like those when I was a kid, man, I loved those. That was awesome because I got to go up to my siblings. I got to go up to my older brother and tell him, hey, clean your room. And of course, he's not having that. I'm, I'm two years younger than him. And, and he said, hey, I'm not doing what you say. And that's the best time because, it's, oh, no, dad said to do it, right? It's not me. Dad said it. If you have a problem, take it up with him, right? And it's awesome because, because I get to act as this authority in his life. Right, if I went up to my brother just on a regular day and said, hey, you, uh, you quit what you're doing, you go, go clean the room, he's not going to listen to me. Uh, but it's because I had the authority of my father with me that I got to do that. And it always felt good to, to kind of play like I had that authority over my brother. But it was never me with the authority. It was my parents' authority through me. You see, it's not us who have a right to be bold in anything. It's him through us who has the boldness. Because of this, as we go throughout our day today, we don't try to have to muster up the courage to be good Christians for Jesus. We don't have to try to be confident. We don't have to try to be good at being a Christian. You can have boldness in the Christian life because you have Jesus in you. We simply have to acknowledge our weaknesses and let him work through them. Live for him boldly because he's the one who's empowered us to do so. You see, undeniable Christianity is not marked by self-centered boldness because that's nothing more than pride. 
And the world is full of pride today. That's, that's not something that turns head. The, the world's, they, they have their pride in all their different things. They have their pride in their job, in their status, in relationships. They, they take pride in their sins. They take pride in all these different things. And so to take pride in ourselves, to have boldness in ourselves, that's not what turns heads. What turns heads is having boldness in another. Undeniable Christianity is marked by a humble confidence in Christ, not ourselves. If we want to live lives that are undeniably dedicated to God, our boldness must rest in him, not us. Secondly, we see Peter and John were called by God. Uh, They're commanded by the priests to stop preaching in the name of Jesus in verse 18. And in response, Peter says, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. Basically, he says, whether we should listen to you or we should listen to God, you decide. You tell us who should have the greater authority in our lives. You see, because God had already given them a command to preach the gospel. Uh, Back at the beginning of Acts in chapter one, Christ's final command to the apostles was to be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, they were given this command by the son of God himself. And so no lesser authority was going to convince them of anything otherwise. They weren't going to give in to the commands of some worldly priests when they had the ultimate priests give them a greater command. And we shouldn't either. We have no reason to fear man when God has called us to his work. The Bible tells us as much. Acts 5, uh, 29 kind of acts as the answer to Peter's challenge here in verse 19. Peter's again facing the high priests uh, in Acts 5, and he tells them we ought to obey God rather than man. Basically, in case they didn't get it the first time, in case the first time you questioned us and threatened us, we're not going to listen to you over God. No amount of threatening, no amount of fear can make us change our minds. And we love that attitude. We, we love to hear somebody say that. We love to, to see that on display. And, and we think, yeah, God's my final authority, nobody else. And we love to think that. And it's something that when we hear it, we're on board with. Something mentally we agree with. But I think too often we fail to live it out. I think too often we fail to take it from, from a mental acknowledgement to a practical exercise. You see, when it comes to practice, we immediately forget that it's God who's the final authority. When the conflict comes, when when we're faced with pressure from the others, we quickly abandon our call to live for God. We take the easy road out. And this is the important part, because to be an undeniable Christian, you don't have to simply be called by God. Because as Christians, we've all been called by him. Whether we live undeniable lives for him or not, at the moment of salvation, God called us to live for him. What we need to do is remember that we've been called by God. You see, Peter and John, they were called by God, and that wasn't something they were going to forget anytime soon. That wasn't a fact that was going to slip their mind in the near future. They knew that they had this command from God. So again, what were the commands of of worldly priests going to convince them otherwise? 
Peter and John were able to live for God because they were conscious of the fact that God called them to do so. Again, each and every one of us in this room, we've been called by God. We've been called to live for him. Across the board, men, women, young, old, whether we were saved last month or whether we've been saved for the last 50 years. But the question is, how many of us actually remember that in our day-to-day lives? Even more, how many of us live life by that fact? How many of us live according to that fact each day? You see, when we recognize that it's God who's called us to live set-apart lives, we start to live differently. That, that, that external call, that external motivator from a greater authority is, what, is all it takes to start living differently. Uh, I go to school at West Coast Baptist College. I am in my last year. I graduate in about three and a half months now. Um, and I live in the dorms. I have one roommate this year. He's a freshman. He is a super tidy dude. I mean, he's always got his stuff cleaned. He always cleans up after himself. Uh, And I don't. Um, I'm the opposite of him. He's a very tidy guy. I am not. Uh, If I don't have to clean my room, I won't clean my room. Um, And that's to a detriment oftentimes. But... Uh, We have demerits at the school, and they have room checks every day during chapel, and so the dean of men will come through the dorm, and if you've got clothes on the floor, if you've got a bed that's not made, if the sink's not clean, if the mirror's not cleaned out, uh, then then they will give you demerits. And can I tell you, usually it only takes about a week or two when I go back for me to realize, hey, I've got to start cleaning this. Because I see those demerit slips on my bed. I, I see those demerit slips on, on the mirror. And I realize, man, I've got an authority who's telling me to do this. It doesn't matter what I want to do. It doesn't matter if I think the room looks fine. If he says it's not, then it's not. You see, it's that external authority. It's that external motivation that drives me to clean that room. Because somebody else has placed that authority in my life. When we realize that God has placed the responsibility of our lives to live differently, it becomes easier. When we choose to follow the command to live for God, everything else matters so much less. You know, suddenly we're so much less concerned with what people around us will say. We suddenly care so much less about the judgment of others, about the consequences of living for him. Because satisfying God becomes all that matters. Acts 5.41, again, uh, like we said in Acts 5, uh, the apostles are taken again. Uh, They are threatened and beaten by the priests again. In Acts 5.41, after the church body suffers beatings and threatenings, uh, the apostles departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. The apostles rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer beatings and shame for the name of Jesus. Can I tell you, that's a hard thing for me to read and get behind. I don't know about y'all, but, but when I read that verse, uh, it leaves me feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, it leaves me feeling uh, a little bit convicted. Because sure, I'm all on, I'm all on board with, with putting up for the suffering. I know that the Bible says, hey, you're going to suffer shame for my name. And so I'm, I'm on board with enduring it, enduring it because it's part of the program. But rejoicing that I'll suffer shame and difficulty, we're still rejoicing in the difficulty. I have a lot harder time with that because I can so easily get concerned with myself. So easily get concerned with my self-interest, with making sure everything has the best possible outcome for me, 
then I forget that's not the end goal of life. The end goal of life is not to give me a comfortable life. The end goal of life is not to make sure that my best interests are taken care of. It's about following the call of God on my life. It's about living for the one who's called me to take a stand for him. And when I live a life in light of that fact, suddenly the shame that I may suffer for his name matters so much less. Suddenly the difficulties I may face are cause for rejoicing. Suddenly the the thought of living 3,000 kilometers from home in a country that I've spent all of three weeks in becomes a lot easier to do because it's not for me. It's for the one who called me. When we realize that God is the one that has called us to live this distinct, undeniable Christian life, no amount of discouraging and hardship can keep us from doing that. In fact, on the contrary, we find ourselves rejoicing in the hardships we get to suffer for God. Finally, we see that to live an undeniable Christian life, we have to be filled with the Spirit. Now, Peter and John were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. They were in the upper room. The Spirit descended upon all the apostles, uh, and they were filled with the Spirit. But Acts 4 shows us an example of what the filling of the Spirit should look like like in the life of every Christian. Uh, Verse 20, Peter and John uh, tell the priests, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They couldn't help but speak about the miracles that Jesus had done while he was here on this earth. They, They couldn't help but tell others about how they could have salvation through trusting in their Savior. And it's because they were filled with the Spirit. It's because they had the spirit in them. The reason they were so outspoken about the gospel is because they were obeying the commands of the Holy Spirit in them. And just like being called by God, every born-again Christian has the spirit in them. If you've been saved, if you've accepted Christ as Savior, then you have the Holy Spirit in you. But to have the Holy Spirit and to be filled with the spirit are two different things. Again, we all receive the Spirit at the moment of salvation. Uh, Christ describes it as baptism of the Spirit. Uh, But to be filled with the Spirit is to be sensitive and obedient to the leading of the Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul encourages the church that we should be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, This comparison that Paul draws between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit uh, reveals what being filled with the Spirit should look like in our lives. When people get drunk with wine, it changes the way they act. It confounds their judgment. It changes their action. Uh, It turns them into a different person, right? It alters the way that they act. What Paul is trying to say is that being filled with the Spirit should bear similar results, but for good rather than evil. Uh, Being filled with the Spirit, it should alter the way that we act as well. Being filled with the Spirit should alter the way that we think. It should alter our motivation. Being filled with the Spirit should cause us to take action for God. It should cause us to live for Him. Because that's what we see in the lives of Peter and John. 
One of my favorite things about Peter in the book of Acts, uh, another reason that I love the book of Acts, is that every chance that he gets to preach the gospel to somebody, he's doing it. I mean, if Peter has a captive audience, you can guarantee he's telling them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, In Acts 2, he preaches at Pentecost, and we see 3,000 souls are saved. In Acts 3, after people gather to see the miracle of the crippled man healed. In Acts 4, again, before the priests. And then again in Acts 5, also before the priests. In these four chapters alone, Peter preaches the gospel four separate times, every single time, as soon as he gets a captive audience. Anytime Peter has an audience, he's preaching the gospel to them. Every chance he gets, he's telling people about Jesus. Even here, again, in chapter four, Peter is being threatened to never say Jesus' name again, and he still can't help but preach. If we're filled with the Spirit, if we're following the leading of God in our lives, there must come a time when we tell other people about Jesus. If we truly have that spirit in us and if we're truly following the urging and the commands of the spirit, when the opportunity presents itself to plant those seeds, we'll take it. Because true Christianity that's on fire for God just can't help it. True Christianity just can't say no to the opportunity to tell somebody else about Jesus. Uh, A couple months ago, uh, in October, uh, I got the chance to run in the Chicago Marathon. It was my first marathon ever, um, and it was was awful. Um, It was crazy. Uh, But around that time, for the four months leading up to it, uh, I was training for the marathon. I was running a stupid amount of miles uh, every day. Um, And let me tell you, that, that consumed my life. That was, was so much of the time, all I was thinking about, it was so much of the time, uh, all, all that I would um, consider. And so way too often, it was so much of the time, all that I would talk about. Uh, anytime I was at lunch with friends or anytime I, I was, was talking with a family member, man, it would come up, yeah, I, I ran 13 miles yesterday getting ready for the marathon. I, I, I just bought new shoes for the marathon. I can't wait. Man, I, I'm excited to go to Chicago and run the marathon. You know, it was what was consuming my life, and so I I kind of made it my duty to make it what consumed the lives of those around me as well. You see, that's what was in me, and so that's what I talked about constantly. If we're filled with the Spirit, if we have the Spirit in us, we're going to talk about the things of God. If we have the spirit dwelling in us, we're going to tell others about Jesus. Like Peter said, we can't help but speak the things of Jesus. And notice, Peter and John, they continue to obey the leading of the spirit, even in the midst of difficulty. You see, it's it's easy to be filled with the spirit in the upper room. It's easy to be filled with the Spirit when you're surrounded by 11 other disciples who also have the Spirit. It's easy back in Acts 2 when Peter and John are with the other disciples, when the Spirit's just fallen on them, when they're around other followers of Christ. It's easy to be pumped for God then. It's easy to be excited about the things of God then. But the real test comes when we're facing difficulty. When they're before the council, commanded by their religious authorities to never speak in the name of Jesus again. When their savior is no longer by their side like he has been for the last three years, when they don't get to see him face to face, that's when the test of undeniable Christianity begins. See, it's, it's easy to, to hit all the marks of an undeniable Christian in the church building. 
It's easy to be bold for Jesus. It's, it's easy to feel the call of God on our lives to obey the spirit when we're encouraged to. It's easy to do it when we're surrounded by others who are striving to do the same. It's when we leave the upper room that the test starts. It's when we leave all of those positive spiritual influences of our lives that the test starts. You see, we can be filled with the spirit. We can be on fire for God in here right now, and then we can step out of this building and dump water on that fire. Once we leave the upper room, oh, once we take the suit and tie off, once we get home and, and we're not around the church people anymore, it can be really easy to quench that spirit, to forget everything that God has called us to do. And that's why it's important to constantly be listening to the leading of the Spirit. Certainly in church, when the, when the word is being preached, but so much more when we're outside of church. When we feel that urge to tell a coworker about Jesus, when we feel that leading to leave a tract for the waitress or whatever the thousands of different things it could be, if we want to live lives that are undeniably dedicated to Jesus, we must obey the Spirit. I think my favorite part uh, about this two-chapter story that we find ourselves in the middle of in Acts chapter 4 is the effect that it has on the church at Jerusalem as a whole. You see, because of the undeniable Christianity of Peter and John, the whole church follows suit. When Peter and John return to the church at Jerusalem, uh, they give a report to the church members about everything that happened with the priests, and the church prays to God, and their prayer is fascinating, because in their prayer and in God's response to their prayer, we see the exact same characteristics Peter and John displayed in the verses before. Verse 25, the church prays, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness... They may speak thy word, they may speak your commands by stretching forth thy hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Because of Peter and John's willingness to live for God in a way that couldn't be denied, the entire congregation does the same. We have no idea of the effects of our living lives for God. We never know who's watching. We never know who we're influencing, whether they be saved or unsaved, whether they be strangers or close friends. We will never know the effects of living undeniable lives for God this side of heaven but we can know how to live such lives through boldness in Christ, through a remembrance that God has called us to live for him and following the leading of the spirit, we can live lives for God that even the most staunch opposition to Christ cannot deny. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this church family and the blessing that they have been for me these last two and a half weeks. God, I, I thank you for this opportunity to open your word. And Lord, I pray that each of us would live undeniable lives for you, filled with your spirit and bold to follow your call on our lives. We ask all these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.